0: Broadcasting to millions from Webmaster WebmasterRadio.fm's world headquarters in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Welcome to Rainmaker. Rainmaker. Hosted by the founders of Webmaster Radio, Taryn Babin, also known as Essie Guru, and his beautiful co-host, Brandy Shapiro Babin. Brandy. From their persistent work ethic to their personal accomplishments, Darren and Brandy bring you candid, no-holds-barred interviews and commentary with guests that exhibit inspiration, dedication to their craft, and leave an indelible mark on their path to success. And now, Webmaster Radio presents a program that is truly the destination for education and entertainment. This is Rainmaker. Well, hello, everybody,
1: and welcome to this week's edition of Rainmaker. My name is Darren Babin, and I am joined by my beautiful co-host and partner, Brandy Shapiro-Babin. Um, and uh, this May 7th edition of Rainmaker is actually a very, very special uh, addition for us, because t- tonight, we, we're going to dive into a topic that is very, very near and dear to our heart. Um, we're going to be talking about the HBO series, uh, documentary series that's coming out, called The Alzheimer's Project. And uh, the thing about this is, uh, you know, folks, if you're listening to this and, and, and you... Have family members or friends who have have experienced this, or, or they're going through this. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about hope, and we we have an amazing group of people, and that we're we're very very fortunate in having them join join us um, tonight. With us, John Hoffman is the vice president of HBO Documentary Films and is the series producer. For the Alzheimer's Project, and uh, is joined uh, by Dr. Lori Ryan, um, and I-, I could read this this tremendous um, this bio. I, she received her PhD in clinical psychology with a specialty training in neuropsychology at the Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge. Right there, uh, near near my wonderful home hometown, uh, and recently, as um, in September of two thousand five, she accepted a position with the National Institute of Aging in the Neuroscience and Neuropsychology of Aging Program, Dementias of Aging branch, where she's the program director for Alzheimer's disease clinical trials. I'd like to welcome both of you to Rainmaker tonight.
2: Thank
3: you. Glad to be here. Um,
1: I, 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 I got to say, first and foremost, um, you know, this is most definitely a topic that is, um, you know, it's not one that's going unnoticed these days. It's touching a lot of people. Um, John, what, 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 what's the impetus here? What, what, what drew you? to this particular project
3: well we have a history of doing uh, films and campaigns that are of uh, health concern to a lot of uh, americans and we had a large project called the addiction project which we also did with the nih and when we were done with that we went back to the NIH and said, where have there been tremendous advances that the public um, is not aware of, of, and where have there been advances in an area that is of enormous concern to the public? And Alzheimer's kept coming up, which was a great surprise to me because my father had died of Alzheimer's, and I was not aware, um, and I had preferred to uh, sort of remain blissfully ignorant about the disease, really with the incorrect perception that um, there just were not, there was not reason to know more because um, it was a disease that was still um, uh, sort of a a great challenge to the research community. Um, So it was really um, eye-opening to me personally and to my colleagues to learn that there was an emerging sense of hope in the research community and that there was there have been these substantial uh, accomplishments in understanding what are the basic mechanisms um, occurring in the brain. And once those kinds of uh, mechanisms or pathways are identified, these become targets for um, drug development and other interventions. so this is we felt that this was time to really inform the public that the research community now um, has this emerging sense of optimism about the future.
4: And did you feel, I mean, when you were going through this with your father, did you feel alone in this journey?
3: Um, well, I felt that we, my father died 10 years ago, and so in the 10-plus years prior to that of his decline, um you there was a, there was a sense of of uh being alone with trying to understand what is happening and um a, what was unfortunately a, a pretty long period of misdiagnosis of depression which is not unusual but the uh, or was not that unusual at the time now the ability to diagnose the disease is far is greatly improved um and so and there are many more uh, resources available to people through organizations like the Alzheimer's Association,
4: which is terrific. So you've you've got four. Ooh, excuse me. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm very excited over here. I apologize. Let's let's quickly walk through the project, if you will, because I mean this is a it's a very robust series that focuses on. Um, the fir- it's four documentaries. The first one is Memory Loss Tapes, which debuts on May 10th.
3: Right, this Sunday. Uh, let me, sure, this is a public health campaign. So HBO, along with its partners, the NIH, um, and specifically the National Institute on Aging, and the Alzheimer's Association, um, we have developed uh, an enormous amount of materials. Uh, there are the four films, which I'll outline. There's a companion book. There's a very robust website. Um, and there are a lot of tools for people to put on screening events in their communities. And, but in terms of the, the, the larger, more visible um, components, there is the first film airing Sunday night at 9 called The Memory Loss Tapes, which really uh, is laying out the problem. It tells the story of seven people each at a more advanced state of decline uh, from diagnosis through death. And then Monday night at 7.30 is uh, Grandpa, Do You Know Who I Am? with Maria Shriver. And Maria Shriver is executive producer of the whole campaign with us. It's a beautiful half-hour film that helps explain the disease to children and um, helps parents uh, find ways to better... Um, prepare children for understanding the kinds of changes that will occur in their grandparents and what they can do to still provide um, joy and love um, to their grandparents. That's followed by the first hour of the Alzheimer's Project Momentum in Science, which is where most of the hope that we're able to inject into this project rests. Then on Tuesday at 7 is a film called The Alzheimer's Project, Caregivers, which tells um, the stories of five families and shows uh, very effective models of caregiving. And then after that is the second hour of Momentum in Science.
4: Wow. And you are, from what I understand, I mean, this is available on HBO. It's available on demand. uh, Yes, we're...
3: (laughs) We feel that this is, um, in every way, a public health campaign, and because we have partners like Fidelity, Charitable Gift Fund, and the Jeffrey Bean Gives Back Alzheimer's Initiative, we're able to find ways to make the programming as widely available to people as possible. So it all can be streamed on hbo.com, it's all on Facebook, it's on YouTube, Um, it's on MySpace. And it is also, in many um, communities, cable operators are opening the signals so that people can watch HBO this uh, weekend through Tuesday, um, uh, even if they don't have it. It'll be an open signal, as as well as it'll be on the demand channels of many cable
4: operators. Which, I thank you so much for doing that, <laughs> because information is power. And I think, you know, giving people hope and creating inclusiveness is so you know very very important i I, I definitely have
1: uh, a question here for you you know when you look at this disease and um, you know john you spoke of of your father um, you know i i can I can say that um, you know this hits close to home for us um, brandy 's mother is currently. In the late stages of uh, Alzheimer's and you know this is a point of education for a lot of people and and you know when we saw the project begin to to, to become promoted you know we're asking ourselves a lot of the very same questions that you know a lot of the promos you know that 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 you guys have that um, you know are, are promoting the series How would you compare this disease and its impact on those that that have it and their caregivers with other diseases that you guys may have covered in the past?
3: Well, the the closest to this project um, is what we did with addiction, the addiction project. And prior to that, we did something called Cancer Evolution to Revolution. Um, I'd say that with almost every other disease there is uh, there's always a a glimmer of
4: real hope, hope
3: uh because <laughs> of the possibility for effective treatment um and that you you always hope with any disease that the treatment that your, your loved one is getting whether it's for addiction or for cancer is going to turn things around um with alzheimer's we yet we don't yet have anything that will turn it around so it is a uniformly fatal disease and so everyone who is diagnosed will eventually decline and succumb to it what we can do um, is bring dignity to everyone's life and to do the best we can to uh, maintain the person's um, sense of self and place and family and provide them love um, at every turn. Um, we do that with hopefully with any disease, but here we do have a situation where the, I think the emotional toll um, is unrelenting for the family.
4: Let me ask you, as you, I mean, because we, we talk about you know preserving dignity and love and the essence of the person as you you know moved around the country and and interviewed families who were impacted by this and you went to you know nursing homes and assisted living facilities um how did you feel i mean did you find a a, a difference in, in how people help the health or the mental health of people in nursing homes or in assisted living facilities versus those who are at home?
3: I don't know that I'm really prepared to answer, to answer that. I think that the choice that families make when they can't really provide um, all the care that someone needs in the home is such a personal decision, and it's a financial decision as well um it's 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 an enormously challenging disease as the films uh, the memory loss tapes and caregiver's portray as the disease progresses um the demands on the on the care, primary caregiver can sometimes or will often become just just overwhelming um and so just for safety's sake and for the health of the caregiver which very often suffers and my mother is someone who um, really uh, it took her years to recover from um, the caregiving she provided my father um, so I think that these are very personal decisions that families have to face. Um, and no one, I think that everyone would like to believe that they can keep the person home. But sometimes the demands and the behaviors of the person just require that they be in, uh, with a greater level of supervision.
4: Absolutely. And for you, Dr. Ryan, um, a question. You see that there's, from what I understand, there's only certain medications that are truly prescribed for people with dementia slash Alzheimer's, but yet you're seeing a lot of off-label um, drug usages. What,
2: well, what? there are, there are um, you're right, there are only a few medications that are prescribed currently, and that they're FDA-approved, I guess is the word, for Alzheimer's and other dementias, and that's Aricept. People might have heard of Exelon, to name a couple, Memantine. And those medications work for a short period of time for some people. They do not work for everybody. And they impact the symptoms. They can help with the symptoms when they do work, but they don't address the underlying disease pathology. And that's they don't modify the disease. In other words, so at some point, the medications can no longer work because there just aren't enough brain neurons to actually it, for the medication to work on anymore. So, the new newer medications that are being under investigation right now are actually looking at getting at the underlying pathology. They're what we call disease modifying treatment. So that is actually very exciting.
4: And how close t- how how close are we to seeing some of those drugs being approved?
2: Well, we've got them in trials right now, which is very exciting. And unfortunately, trials do take a while. And you don't know if they're actually going to work until the trial is completed. So it's hard to say how long it will be presuming something works, but there are a numerous, I mean, it's a, essentially like 91 drugs currently in trials for Alzheimer's. Wow. So there's an explosion of things out there. So we'll be having information, I can say that, fairly soon with some of these trials completing, and we'll know whether or not they had, you know, if they seem to work, and then that'll be have to go through the FDA process. So I think it's exciting that there are a number of things now, you know, out there in the pipeline, and then we'll have to see how they, how they fare in the actual clinical trials.
1: Wow, I, I I mean that's 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 an amazing number of drugs to to hear, uh, you know, being tested at this point. Uh, guys, we've got to take a, a quick break. When we come back, uh, we we carry on and digging a little deeper uh, with Dr. Lori Ryan and, of course, uh, the the producer of this amazing series, John Hoffman. Uh, who, who i i i can't tell i can't tell you i'm really dying to see this the alzheimer's, the alzheimer's project um coming up airing this sunday on hbo for everyone also Joining us um, following the break will be Dr. Mark Agronin, um, who is a world-renowned expert in Alzheimer's and um, in residency right down here in uh, South Miami at the Miami Jewish Home uh, for the Aging. And uh, we will be right back in just a moment to dive in a little deeper. Stay tuned, folks.
5: Sit tight and don't move. Rainmaker. We'll be back after this short break. Are you happy with your landing page performance? Discover how to improve your landing page performance with ConversionCredit.com, brought to you by Engine Ready. Turn your underperforming landing pages into cost-effective sales-producing machines. This is a test of the PR Web content and news delivery system from PR Web and PR web If this was a real release date, your story would reach more than 30,000 journalists, 250,000 RSS subscribers, and just over 30,000 unique websites. PR Web can reach your target audience online, drive traffic to your website, achieve high rankings on search engines, and get your content on top news sites like Yahoo News. Editors are available 24 7 to help you optimize your content for maximum exposure to over 70 million people in the u.s alone if this were a real pr web release date your website would have so much traffic you'd be tempted to duck and cover if you have an online marketing emergency go to prweboffer.com for 25 percent off pr web the premier online release news and content distribution service
1: Affiliate Convention 2009 Denver. Free for all affiliates and all the information you need to know to grow your business. June 18th and 19th. For more information about registration and sponsorship, visit www.affiliateconvention.com.
0: You're listening to Rainmaker. Only on webmasterradio.fm.
1: And I'd like to welcome everybody back to this Special edition of Rainmaker on May the seventh. For those of you listening to the podcast, I know uh, everyone loves it when I remind them what date it is. <laughs> we are um, we are tonight covering a topic that's very near and dear to our heart, and um, I, I I I gotta say um it, it is truly something that um should be commended um you know not only to you John uh John Hoffman but of course everyone who was involved
4: participating um, the families my goodness the families that exposed themselves in, in a very vulnerable way to give back because i mean this is the first time i've publicly said this my mom has my mother has alzheimers and it is a very scary thing to watch someone who you know so intimately and that you love so genuinely to um, d- decline and become someone who is so different from the person that you know and you try to reach out and help them. And you're dependent upon um, professionals to give you the support and give you the direction that you need. Um, so in part, um, sort of leading into this, I'm very excited to Also joined the conversation, Dr. Mark Agronin, who is in the trenches every day. Um, He's a board-certified adult and geriatric psychiatrist. Um, He's currently serving as the medical director for mental health and clinical research at the Miami Jewish Home and Hospital, Florida's largest long-term care facility. Uh, My goodness, he's an associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine, Harvard graduate, um, Yale, Yale graduate, uh, Mass General Hospital, McLean Hospital. He's a, a published author and uh, did work with Dr. Westheimer. I don't know. <laughs> Without further ado, welcome Dr. Mark Agronin.
1: How are you, Doc? Thank you so much for having me today. Indeed. Indeed. Um, You know, uh, we've been talking here uh, about this amazing project undertaken, um, you know, uh, by by Mr. Hoffman and obviously an amazing team working on this documentary series, The the Alzheimer's Project. And, um, uh, you know, Doc, from from your perspective, uh, tell us tell us what you what you see on a daily basis in regards to those that are afflicted with this because we want to transition this into hope for people and 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 how how they can look forward you know maybe not not right now with someone that is in those advanced stages but of course with early detection so give us an idea if you would of of you know what 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 this really what this picture really looks like.
6: Sure. Well, first of all, I, I have to commend uh, Mr. Hoffman for this program. This is an outstanding project, and I, I hope that you will get the, um, the recognition that is well-deserved for this. It is so critical to get this information out to families, and I, and I know you'll get a tremendous response. Uh, one thing that I, I want to emphasize about Alzheimer's disease is that we are seeing uh, epidemic proportions right now. Five to six million Americans have this, and without uh, a cure in the next uh, 10 to 20 years, uh, this number will, will, will certainly double. Uh, and then the toll is tremendous, probably about $100 billion to the, to the economy every year. Uh, it, but one thing that has to be emphasized is that when you, when you think about Alzheimer's disease, this is what I work with all day. This is essentially my, my life's work, is that there is an incredible variety of expressions of the disease. Uh, We work with individuals in the very earliest stages uh, in their caregivers through the most severe uh, phases, which are essentially terminal for the disease. And all along the way, there are so many different opportunities to intervene, The research right now is going at an incredible pace. I think a few moments ago, uh, Dr. Ryan had mentioned up to 90 different medications that are being studied, and that's fantastic. Uh, But if we're looking into the next five to 10 years, uh, in all likelihood, we won't have a cure for this. But it doesn't mean that there's not hope. And I think in this sense, hope comes from all of the connections that we make with individuals uh, to say, we recognize this disease, we're going to be with you throughout this, because one thing we can all certainly say is that we all age, We all of us will get into the age range in which we have a chance of suffering from this affliction, our parents, our grandparents, and if we don't band together... Uh, that makes for a very, very lonely and difficult path for anyone
3: yeah, and- i'd like to jump in if I may that's something that is very important to um the project uh, which is that in the absence of effective treatments coming to market, um, which we all hope that they will soon, but realistically, as Dr. Ryan pointed out, it it will most likely take a while. What we are increasingly understanding is that the disease is a disease of the entire body, and it's one thing that we um, spend time on in Momentum in Science, um, and we are very glad to convey to the baby boom generation, which is that... um, we understand that Alzheimer's, the pathology, is a very complex one and that there are many systems of the body that are increasingly understood to play a role in the development of the disease. We don't understand everything about it, but we understand increasingly that um, the systems that control blood glucose and insulin um, and insulin resistance leading to diabetes plays a role. We understand More about the role that cholesterol um, plays in the disease. And so, what I came away uh, understanding is that if we in midlife can control blood sugar, blood pressure, and blood cholesterol, um, we stand a chance of (laughs) of mitigating our chances. It's not a guarantee, Uh but we stand the chance of mitigating the chances of developing this disease or developing it later in life um, if we hadn't controlled those things in midlife. So there's a lot of hope in that. As I say, it's not a guarantee. It's very important that people understand that, but it's motivation to uh, take care of the entire Organism, um, with, because it, it the disease is one of as I say the entire body, and it's also increasingly understood that exercise plays a profound uh, has a uh, the benefits of exercise are striking in the overall health of the body and the brain. So um, the shows people watch, they'll see that there are a lot of studies being done on everything I described and, importantly, on exercise.
4: Now, so, John, ironically... <laughs> um, this is funny, actually. Th- okay. Well, not funny, but... It's not It's not, it's not irony, funny. And irony. I understand that this disease progresses differently in different people. My mother was a governor's advisor to physical fitness and sports mm-hmm. for 12 years in the state of Massachusetts. Um, she's authored a book... Uh, I'd like to see less of you. She means it in the nicest way. (laughs) Right. Um, You know, and that's the part that's difficult is because, albeit um, diabetes does run in our family, my mother is not diabetic. I don't believe she has high cholesterol. Exercise has been her way of life, you know.
3: But when we, mm -hmm. what's very important to understand, and when we challenged the researchers on this very point, um, the answer came back and I think it's a very important mm-hmm. one is that if your mother hadn't done those things
4: it's Where possible
3: mm-hmm. that her decline would have occurred Been at an sooner. earlier age. Ah. Right. No, no, and, and I,
4: I agree. So okay. It's
3: it's it's very important that people understand that Alzheimer's is connected to the health of the overall organism.
4: No, which and, which oh, I apologize. Uh, and I, I I agree completely with you and I mean absolutely um, being physically fit Helps you to be mentally fit. I mean, right. on, on a number of different levels. We've got two doctors here, and I, I'm not a doctor. Um, <laughs> you know, but interestingly enough, I mean, from, from your research, when you talk from a decline perspective, um, you know, how rapid do you see people go, you know? Yeah,
1: what's the, what would be the average, if you could put an average to that, you know, from from... Because you'd mentioned in the first segment in regards to, you know, the different levels of, of you know, decline, um, and, and doctors, either one of you, feel free to jump in. How, how is it that, that you measure that, and is there an average decline rate for, for someone from early onset until they reach the point that, you know, that, Grandpa, you know, do you know my name?
6: Well, this is what makes it very difficult to make predictions for individuals. We know on average uh, individuals from the, from the time they begin to have symptoms, which doesn't mean that that's when the disease began, but at least when, when be, we begin to notice cognitive changes, on average uh, the lifespan is about 8 to 12 years. Now, that being said, we have individuals who... Uh, succumb much younger, and it's not the disease itself. They succumb to its associated infection or other uh, illnesses which result from from their impairment. Some individuals, it may last 15 or 20 years, and what that gets at, and this may be something I would be very interested in hearing Dr. Ryan's perspective on, is that uh, it may be that when we say Alzheimer's disease, we're really referring to a number of different entities uh, that we just haven't been able to distinguish. And, and, you know, that may be why some individuals last five years. Some individuals go 18 years. Um, but also, to bring in John's point here, which I think is is outstanding, is that all of these factors, exercise, uh, cholesterol level, blood glucose, that you controlled earlier in life may help mitigate uh, your risk for the disease and the symptomatic expression, but also emphasizes the point that even when someone has a disease, it doesn't mean that those same factors can't be focused on. Because not only can they improve the course, but these are exactly the type of things that give people a lot of uh, meaning and a sense of well-being, like exercise and involvement in relationships and the arts and, and whatnot.
2: Right. And this is, this is Laurie Ryan. Yes, I would agree with everything that's been said. And to get to the point about... Um, maybe multiple syndromes, Alzheimer's disease is complex, and that I think will come across in the films. I mean, HBO did, I think, a wonderful job of, of talking to the researchers and really showing that. Um, it's a complex disease, and there are probably multiple pathways to get to the Alzheimer's pathology that's in the brain that the plaques entangles. And sometimes it's lifestyle, it's diabetes, cardiovascular disease, other times it's genetic risk. It's a combination of things, and probably what we're going to see in the future is not one magic bullet for Alzheimer's disease, but we're going to probably be talking about you know a cocktail approach. Different individuals will have need different medications or different lifestyle interventions because lifestyle interventions are are critical. And the observational studies do show that people who stay socially engaged, who mm-hmm. keep mentally active, and who keep you know physically fit, do have a later onset of the illness. So it does seem to have an effect, and it's going to be it's. To be more than one thing, and certainly, like I said, there are multiple pathways to getting what we call right now Alzheimer's disease. Now, I- I- in in that
1: um, mice with Alzheimer's disease have been cured with a vaccine.
2: Well, I should say that first of all, mice really don't get Alzheimer's disease. Mice are okay. genetically altered to produce <laughs> okay. the plaques and tangles. Okay, so a- they a- actually don't get Alzheimer's. That mice don't, but we can genetically alter them, and we can clear away. Things from the brain of mice, and okay. so a lot of things work in mice. But when we get them to human trials, they don't work, or they haven't worked. But that's why it's critical—you can't. You have to. You have to look at treatments within mice, obviously first, to sure. see if there's reason to go into humans. But you have to do it in human trials.
4: Interesting. Now, can I take you back to? You know, you were talking about um, lifestyle things that mm-hmm. can also inc- encourage the well-being of a person. Right. Um, you know, if you are someone with Alzheimer's who is living in a, a facility, and I know that, you know, you're obviously extremely familiar with different medications, how can you be sure, you know, not one drug fits all? Um, in your research, have you seen a decline when people, when people are put on certain, like, antipsychotics, for example? Do you see... A massive decline in a very short period of time um, with someone's cognitive and linguistic abilities or is that just... A part of, a part of their, their normal
6: their decline. Well, sometimes absolutely you can see that uh, and and this actually raises a very good point is that most of the time when individuals with Alzheimer's disease are being seen by a clinician, whether it's a neurologist or a psychiatrist, it's for behavioral disturbances or mood disturbances. These are part and parcel of the expression of the disease. And so the question is, how do you treat these? Now, we have a whole variety of, of psychotropic or psychoactive medications that we use with younger individuals who have depression or psychosis or, or other uh, mental disturbances. The question is, how well can you apply these to individuals with Alzheimer's disease because you're dealing with a with a damaged brain, a more vulnerable brain. And so sometimes what happens is, just as you stated, uh, sudden and severe changes or declines uh, that make the picture seem a lot worse. And if you have clinicians then who take a very fatalistic approach to this and say, well, that's just part of the disease process, you can take someone from a fairly steady, uh, slowly progressive decline to a, a really a free fall
1: and let me let me ask and, and john you know obviously with your team you know you, you've 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 witnessed this firsthand you've gone in and you've dealt with caregivers tell tell me in your opinion um what has the different environments um done for The, you know, the people who are afflicted with this, let's say let's say someone who who is um, in an advanced stage of of Alzheimer's or even, you know, uh, mid stage, um, who's having, say, short term, just quick short term, you know, loss, um, you know, obviously trying to keep them engaged, what have you. Um, you know, do, do you find that that you know trying to engage them with you know memory games or what have you, Do, do you see uh, that environment plays a role in 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 the overall well being or or mental outlook for for that given patient?
3: Well, I, I I'm really going to defer to the doctor who spends his life working on these issues, and I'll just briefly speak from just a personal experience of my father, I think that what what was important was him feeling comfortable, feeling secure um, at all times, even when he needed to move first to adult daycare and then eventually to um, managed care, that that was really what was most important as the disease progressed. Um We were more concerned about that than sort of challenging him at every turn to maintain cognition. At a certain point, I think that we understood that the disease was progressing in an unrelenting fashion and there was nothing that we could do. So we just wanted to make sure that he was um, stable and content. But I really Uh, defer to the doctor. Got it.
6: Well, I think you know, what, what John captured here is the essence of what of what we try to do, uh, and this is why loved ones uh, are are so critical to be involved in the process. If you, if you look at the um, the neuropsychological changes, meaning you know what are the, what really changes with a person's uh, intellectual or cognitive abilities as this disease progresses, it begins fundamentally with short-term memory. And then it progresses to language and recognition and our, our, our ability to organize the world around us. So, all of these areas become areas of deficits. But at the same point, we have to recognize there are still areas of strengths within our cognitive abilities things like humor, uh, the ability to, to be affectionate, to love, uh, creativity long-term memories. These are all aspects of a person's humanity that are preserved throughout the entire process. And so what we try to do along the the entire pathway here through the programs we have here, uh, we have memory training courses, is to focus on those strengths. And I'll give you one, one quick anecdote here. Uh, we started about a year ago a program on our campus called called Bella's Club. It's essentially a social club for uh, individuals with early-stage Alzheimer's disease. And, you know, I see all these women in the clinic because I was, I'm the physician who's made the diagnosis for most of them. I go to the group, and it's, it's a whole different experience because they're in a setting where their strengths are emphasized. And so I, I did a lecture one day to this group on the brain. They had some of the most sophisticated questions that I've encountered from a group of individuals, and I was sitting around them, and they're laughing, they're joking, they're socializing, they're kibitzing with one another. It was so wonderful to see that and to see them really get beyond what the disease was. And the point that we make is that it doesn't matter what stage of the disease they're at. There are always certain strengths that people have, and it's critical to be able to recognize these and bring them out. And I think, you know, to, to, it sounds like what, what John was mentioning, with his experience with his own father is that they, they knew him. They knew the person that was there even as he was changing, and they were able to intervene and interact with him in, in ways that were able to, to bring out those strengths and to maintain a sense of comfort and well-being. You know, that's, that's the essence. If you can do that for someone and for a family, you're giving them hope, even if you don't have a cure yet.
1: And that is exactly what I, I want to cover when we come back from, from our break. Um, I, I'd like to dive in, um, John, when we come back and talk a little bit in regards to the, the films and Momentum in Science where, uh, and the supplemental films where y- you go into um, a little detail on the Demo family and early detection. Uh, I think early detection is something that everyone should be aware of and um, what it entails and what, it, what, what this really means for people. Um, and we're, we're going to cover that when we come back with John Hoffman, Dr. Lori Ryan, and Dr. Mark Gronin. Stay with us, folks.
0: We'll be back with
5: more Rainmaker after this. Here's your bill. demand. I'm telling you, this network is recession-proof.
7: RevenueWire, the recession-proof network platform. For more information, visit RevenueWire.com today. That's RevenueWire.com.
0: From Fort Lauderdale, Florida. WebmasterRadio.fm.
2: A service of new-gen broadcasting. We're everywhere. Does your website need a bailout? Looking for
7: a conversion rate stimulus package? Do you need a website improvement to-do list? On Target, a subscription service from FutureNow and Brian Eisenberg monitors your website 24-7, analyzing the actions of every potential customer. It gives you a to-do list. It tells you exactly what to fix and how to fix it so that more of your visitors do what you need them to do. On-Target pricing starts at $1,000 a month. See more at futurenowinc.com slash on-target. I'm Brian Eisenberg, and I approve this message. Search Engine Strategies Toronto makes its way to the Sheraton Center, Toronto, June 8th through 10th. Log on to searchenginestrategies.com for more details. We'll see you north of the border. 16th 2004 the beginning of webmaster radio.fm and its immediate impact on the internet business world Today, WebmasterRadio.fm has become one of the fastest-growing internet media outlets on the planet. Our trade show coverage is second to none. We have brought you speeches and interviews from the most influential names in search affiliate marketing and public relations. Eric Schmery, Andrew Hay, John Battelle, Keith Ferraz, Jim Lanzo, Jason Calcanis and that's just the beginning. Trade show coverage on demand now at WebmasterRadio.fm. Thank you. Now, back to Rainmaker, only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's your host.
1: And welcome back, everybody, to this May the 7th edition of Rainmaker. We are talking with the series producer, John Hoffman, um, and vice president of HBO Documentary Films. Uh, who has just recently completed and ready to go to air with the Alzheimer's Project uh, this coming Sunday evening? And also joining us is Dr. Lori Ryan and Dr. Marka Gronin. And um, can I say this is this has been very very enlightening? And you know I think. You know the one. The one common denominator about this is that um, you know this particular disease, like others, um, you know, it, there's there, it's no respecter of persons. And when 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 you boil it right down to it, anybody is susceptible susceptible to this. Mm-hmm. A- and um, as as I you know take take a glance at. Um, at the press release here, you know, John, you guys mention the Demo family in here, and mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's a family of five who's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, who's six children carry the mutation.
3: Right. This is a this is a, a family that we met at the University of Pittsburgh who are participating in some very important research that they're doing there. They're from North Dakota. Uh, the there are six children in the family they're all adults. they are all um, over the age of uh, 35. Uh, five out of the six children carry a very rare uh, mutation uh, which causes early onset Alzheimer's. their grandmother died at 53, their father died at 53 and um, they uh, this, Mutation was identified um, about 20 years ago um, by scientists, and there are uh, families around the world who carry it, but not very many. There are, only, there are three known genetic mutations that cause early onset Alzheimer's, which can, for some, begin as early as their 30s. But um, for many people who have it, have this gene, it begins in the 40s, their 40s or 50s. But unfortunately, five out of six children carry this mutation. Um, but they're participating in some remarkable research um, where doctors are able to with a radioactive isotope they're able to see the amyloid plaques in the brain um, on a PET scan and they're using they are participating in research that's enabling them to track the to correspond how they decline in their thinking um, and how that might match up with the amount of this amyloid protein, the sort of culprit in this disease, how it um, accumulates in the brain.
1: Now, now in this regards, who, who should be who should be thinking about early testing?
3: Well, early testing is something which um, is not uh, um, being heavily promoted because we don't really what are we testing for we should be te- we should be diagnosing as early as possible so that whatever drugs which it help people with their thinking that have been described earlier in this show mm-hmm. um that they people are taking advantage of and using these to improve their thinking as early as possible but we don't have any quote tests um that are like a blood test um, for the disease at this point. But we do have um, an ability to diagnose the cognitive decline, the dementia of Alzheimer's. We have great ability to diagnose that that dementia and then engage people in as many um, either drug trials or use of these approved drugs
1: now, now in the, in the drug trials i I do want to to go back dr dr ryan we 'd mentioned um, earlier um, in regards to you know the drugs that are fda approved right now mm-hmm. um, and you mentioned uh, you know on an individual level potentially approaching this with i, I believe your words a cocktail approach. You know when 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 someone begins to look at say a family member and and they're doing their own research online and and you see that maybe your loved one is um, you know is on something like Seroquel and you read that there's something called Seroquel anger. Do you can you speak to that?
2: Well, actually, I think probably the uh, doctor who actually takes care of the patients, because I'm involved in research. But I do let me say one thing. When I was talking about a cocktail approach, okay. I meant in the future when we have a variety of medications, because there are likely multiple pathways to get this illness, that you will you will have individuals who will need different gotcha. combinations of therapies.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah.
2: But I mean, yeah. I'm sorry.
4: Okay.
1: Doctor Grodin. Go
6: well, what I would add is that I, I think the the holy grail of of treatment eventually is is very very early uh diagnosis because uh, you know one thing that I think we're we're realizing more and more so is that by the time we begin to see symptoms that you know the, the so to the horse is out of the barn so to speak that the the process has been evolving in the brain for some time and that likely makes it more difficult to treat. We've been involved with, with uh, lots and lots of clinical trials over the past few years, and I think one of the frustrating elements is, one, knowing with 100% certainty that someone actually has the disease, and, and really the only way to do that now is to look at brain tissue, which is not obviously not right. a practical thing. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Right, and um, let,
2: let me add that, that is, that's very true, and one of the areas of research that is going on right now is to look at what we call a biomarker. Um, for you know, for cardiovascular disease, you have cholesterol, and if you go and you can have your cholesterol tested. Well, Alzheimer's does not, as John mentioned, have a test like that, and it may not have one test, but we are looking at a series of things, whether it be PET scan imaging that he noted with the uh, radioligand, which is Pittsburgh Compound B, that can actually um, show the amyloid in the in a living brain, or uh, markers in cerebral spinal fluid, and hopefully, eventually, blood, as well as cognitive testing. If we have a series of biomarkers. And that's under study now. We may be able to detect it earlier, watch progression, and also be able to do clinical trials more efficiently because right now clinical t- trials take a very long time to complete because the changes in cognition are fairly slow over time. You need large numbers of people and you need a, you know several years to see if you can get any changes. And the changes are still very small. So the biomarkers are actually critical. And it, the NIA with partnerships with actually industry, pharmaceutical industry and also philanthropic partners has a public-private partnership study called the Alzheimer's Disease Neuroimaging Initiative where we're looking at 800 individuals who are at their normal controls, older adults have what we call mild cognitive impairment, which is sort of the transition phase between healthy aging and or normal cognition and Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's patients. So I think the information that's coming from ADNI, as we call it, is going to be critical, and people are already starting to publish papers on this, is really gonna help us. We, we critically need um, better ways to identify the, the diagnos- to make the diagnosis early and also to, uh, to, like I said, track progression and be able to do our clinical trials more efficiently.
4: Now, I, I have a question for you either doctor um is there i mean because you made a point if it's a slow you know alzheimer's is predominantly a slow progression is there what are the are there triggers or a tipping point in particular or several tipping points in particular that would send someone over the edge in so rapidly
6: well one thing to emphasize is that uh not everyone we see one has Alzheimer's. There are other forms of dementia they could have. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could have dementia due to stroke, something we call vascular dementia. There's a, a very uh, virulent type of dementia called dementia with Lewy bodies, uh, which has a lot of different complications. And by the same token, you can have Alzheimer's disease and still have a stroke, or have an inj- a head injury, or some other metabolic factor that, as you said, is somewhat like a tipping point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, there's no question that things can push someone over. And this is one of the more, more frustrating things we deal with is that we have someone who is going along and doing fairly well, and then some intervening factor comes along. It may be a urinary tract infection or a fall and a hip fracture, and then they need surgery. Um, but the brain takes a blow and I would liken it to any other part of your body. You know, thinking about uh, John's description earlier where this is a, you have to have a whole body approach. If you already have a weak knee and you blow your knee out, it's a lot more difficult to recovery. Well, if this is your brain that you're dealing with now, uh, you have a, 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 there's a lot more area that you need to cover and some people just can't do that. And so we we can see rapid declines at that point.
5: Now,
1: I, I think the one thing that I, I've heard from everyone here tonight is that early diagnosis is key. The Holy Grail, as you mentioned, Dr. Gronin, early, early diagnosis. What, what is it that um, family members who do not even realize that they're going to be caregivers in maybe five or 10 years, right? Who don't realize that a family member has this yet what is it that they should be be you know what are what, what are the typical indications that i need to get this person in to get looked at
6: well i think and this is harkening back to something john raised earlier that uh, first we need to think in terms of prevention to the extent that we can do that and just encouraging uh, a healthier lifestyle There's a notion that that there's some secret herb or formula uh, that's going to make all the difference, and people spend thousands of dollars on various vitamins and cocktails and whatnot. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is that uh, very simply we know that a healthy diet, basically a diet rich in fruits and vegetables and also fish oil, um, exercise, um, and increased mental activity and socialization – makes a tremendous difference in terms of reducing the risk of Alzheimer's disease. And so I tell family members uh, that that's really what they need to focus on because the vast majority of individuals do not have uh, the type of genetic um, uh, mutation that, that is going to be featured in one of the episodes. Uh, they may have certain risk factors, but they have a long time in which they can really work to, to reduce those risks. And these are all lifestyle factors which are not only accessible, but they they have health benefits throughout every system of our body.
4: Absolutely. Now, I have a question, um, John. I'm not exactly sure because I know everything's sort of under wraps, and you know, until the rollout on on Sunday, which we're excited about. But yes, you know, Alzheimer's is an epidemic proportions, and you know, uh, family members, uh, you know, it's difficult to know how to do the right thing for a family member, and there are all of these. Um, facilities popping up. So for example, life care facilities, where you pay an endowment up front with the implied understanding that your loved one will move from like let's say independent living through, you know, assisted living and then God forbid hospice. Um but yet they don't have the ability to deal with Alzheimer's. But they do have the ability to take your money. money. <laughs> okay. Then you have facilities that say that they're you know, um, Alzheimer's specialized facilities where they've got people on a locked ward, um, and they say that they have people that will work specifically with your loved one and, and and target something that's specific for them. But yet, we're hearing from a lot of people that's not happening. Are you have you covered in this series? The best way to arm and protect yourself when it comes to you know putting. Be, Your loved one in the hands caregiver. of other people. Yeah. Yeah.
3: You know, I'm, I'm, I, I, wish we did, but I'm sorry, it's, it's not an area that we focused on. Um, Damn in, you, John! <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's. I, I think that uh, Dr. Gronin can probably address this um, because he's closer to these issues than I am.
6: Well, the this is. One of the greatest challenges families face, and at least I, I know in the in the HBO series that there's there will be a nice focus on caregivers and in, in some of the programs, which is which is is fantastic, um, because that's often the the overlooked aspect of this disease. And if you look at the impact on caregivers in terms of uh, increased rates of depression, increased rates of, rates of illness, even increased rates of mortality, it's really staggering to look at and part of the burden people face has to do with uh, navigating in and out of these different systems. And how do you know? Uh, Just having a basic understanding of the disease and dealing with it is difficult enough now to have to know about all the different names and types of facilities, uh, and there's no great guide for that. I just encourage people to go on your instincts and spend time looking at places and preparing ahead of time. And I think this is where where the HBO series is going to be so helpful for people because it basically is going to say, hey, uh, there are issues you need to think about ahead of time and be proactive because the last thing you want to do is have to make a decision about a facility uh, in, in, during a crisis. Right. It, it, it's hard to think. Your options are more limited. Absolutely. You, uh, you need to plan this ahead of time. I think it's the best intentions of these, of these, have a lot of places springing up. And, and you know, in Florida, we we've it's probably one of the, the centers of lots of these different places <laughs> yeah. right absolutely is to try to have have everything neatly tied together so you you can come in stage 1 and they serve the the entire thing it, it this is not a disease that, that goes neatly and and often we find uh it it defies uh the the best laid plans uh, of all of us
3: I think it's also very important to point out that the um, Alzheimer's Association uh, is a really important resource for people and for people to not feel alone. Um, there are 72 chapters around the country, so there are obviously multiple chapters um, in some states, and they have uh, enormous resources. The NIA also has an enormous amount of resources, so people can go to uh, NIA.gov, and the uh, they have... Tremendous tools and um, materials that help people with all the issues that you just outlined. And it's one of the reasons that we didn't um, spend an enormous amount of time in the project focusing on some of the financial details because these differ state by state. Um, and we were really looking to tell um, much more of the human story of, of caregiving and uh, letting some of the resources that work better on the web um, be explored there.
4: Yeah, no, no, John, I agree with you. I'm not talking about the financial. I'm talking about you know when you you have someone who you love who is, you know, plagued with this disease called, you know, Alzheimer's and you want them to be safe and you want them to be mm-hmm. put in an environment where that preserves their dignity and hopefully engages them so that um, the the progression is so so that the progression is as slow as possible and that they get to have a quality of life and you go into these facilities and they have people that are supposed to be, you know, qualified people and they're just throwing medication after medication where there's people that um you know are, are sticking sticking your loved one in front of a TV when they don't have the opportunity to like they they can't engage in in watching TV anymore so it's frustrating
2: mm-hmm. you know
4: where there where you're being told up front that there is an opportunity to um the, where they where they're meant to be looked at as an individual but instead you're just They're just being thrown into a cattle car, given a lot of you know, being medicated into compliance, almost in a lot of situations. Not all situations, seemingly, but a lot of situations.
6: Well, also, this disease brings us all face to face with our worst fears of aging and our worst stereotypes of aging. Yes, and uh, so it's you know we we look at we look at what's happening and we look at facilities through our own eyes as, as younger individuals, you know, without this, and it seems even more terrifying.
4: Absolutely. And I, I read an article that uh, Dr. Agronin wrote, and it was about, um, you know, looking at his little boy and loving every hair on his little boy's head and realizing that, God forbid, his little boy had this disease. Who is going to take care of his little boy? And, like, that's a scary thing. This can happen to all of us. And, you know, whether, can you're, happen a, anybody. Yeah, whether you're a caregiver or you're, you're the person who has Alzheimer's. My God, we're all human beings, and I'm so blessed and glad John Hoffman... That uh, you produced this series, I think it'll be so beneficial for so many people. Um, obviously, Dr. Lori Ryan from the NIH. Thank you so much um, for your participation here, and obviously um, for your support of this series and being one of the sponsors of the series.
1: Now, and, and and guys, once again, for those listening, can can you tell us again when when do these air? What's the specific air and dates?
4: All the different ways that it can be accessed.
3: Okay, so it is a four-part series starting Sunday night at 9 on HBO. Uh, Monday at 7.30 is Maria Shriver's show called Grandpa, Do You Know Who I Am with Maria Shriver, followed by the first hour of Momentum in Science at 8 o'clock. Tuesday at 7 is a show that profiles five exemplary caregivers, and then Tuesday night at 8 is the second hour of Momentum in Science. All of this can be looked at It looked at on HBO On Demand, on HBO.com. It can be streamed for anyone, whether they have HBO or not. And all the programming will be on YouTube, MySpace, and Facebook. Awesome.
1: So,
4: awesome. Nice, wonderful, low barrier to entry. What a wonderful way to be able to contribute to a,
1: a ton of education here yeah, a, and absolutely. really uh, John and Lori and of course Dr. Agronin for being in the trenches we really appreciate all of the effort that, that you, you, you guys go through and especially in this series for helping to shine a light on a, on a subject that is very dark for a lot of people you should be congratulated
4: well, well, Thank you for can, we'll giving it so
1: much attention tonight. We yeah. appreciate it. Thank I w- you. Thank so would, for
4: having us. We would love um, the opportunity to yet bring you back again.
1: We, we definitely love to, to follow up after the series and and uh, definitely see what what has become of this and and what type of response that that uh, that you guys have received. Um, and in, in the meantime, uh, folks, uh, definitely pay attention HBO. Sunday night, and of course, for all of you who are, uh, are diehard online, B2Bers, you know where to find Facebook, YouTube, <laughs> and MySpace. Make, make sure that you get there. Doctors, and of course, John Hoffman, thank you very, very much for being on tonight.
3: Thank you for having us.
6: Thank you. Super.
4: Thank, thank you again.
1: Thank you. All righty. Can I tell you at what a tremendous amount of information and and this series, uh, you know, waiting with bated breath. I I know um, we'll
4: be glued. (laughs) We will be. Well, because, you know, information is power. And, you know, I wanted to say to John, my God, you know, his father passed away. I'm sure it was fulfilling, but yet so difficult for him to To produce the series. To produce the series. Absolutely.
1: And and obviously this being, um, you know, a show very, very near and dear to our hearts, um by virtue of of uh, you Oops. know a loved one
4: So here you have it folks very first <laughs> time I'm being very public about the fact that um I never mentioned my mom had Alzheimer's before because I looked at it as something that wasn't happening to me it was happening to my mom and um I wanted to preserve her dignity but my mom has always been an amazing example um I mean, she's my mom. So, of course, we have the, the normal mother-daughter relationship. <laughs> but my mom's made amazing contributions to the world. She has not been the type of person who's just, um, just breathed in the yeah. air. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she hasn't yeah. just breathed the air around her. She's made a huge contribution to the world around her. She's an incredibly accomplished woman. She's a pioneer among women. And her story needs to be told. And it's going to be continued to be told because her story is not over. She may be in a different place right now, um, but and, she's still my mom, and she's still um, she still deserves to be tributed as, as as being an amazing person and an accomplished person. And and my mom, and she's you know, my mom. And
1: you know, John said the same thing earlier. Um, Doctor Gronin mentioned, you know, that that during the transition, the one thing that John knew was they knew. His father. They knew who he was and it was about preserving dignity and making the transitions that are not at this stage controllable. And that I think is a frustrating thing for for every caregiver out there that is obviously in your position. In my position, and, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, my uncle,
4: yeah, <laughs> a- my aunt. But I mean, but I think I think the unfortunate thing is, of course, now I'm feeling. Um, you know, I I hope that they do come back because I I would like to speak about, um, you know, there's there's just so many different the, facets to understand and how how to be able to look at each person and, and have that person be treated as an individual because you do know your loved one. You do know your loved one. And sometimes people do need to pay attention to the fact, um, clinicians, that you do know your loved one. I mean, there's a, there's an article that Dr. Agronin had written where um, there was a caregiver, a patient of, uh, of his, I believe, who took his parents temperature all the time. And, Um, he said, oh, my God, my mother's temperature is like two degrees off or something or one degree off. And they didn't want to give her a chest X-ray. And Dr. Gronin said, look, just make the man happy. Give, you know, give him a chest, you know, give the woman a chest X-ray. It turned out she had wild pneumonia. So I think that's a very, I think in helping these facilities and helping caregivers and helping people, you know, I understand that the, the facilities live with people. Day in and day out with with Alzheimer's, and it can be overwhelming for them. But potentially, it could be easier for them if they actually listen to the family members, because the family members can maybe help guide them down a path that would be easier for everyone.
1: Indeed. And Indeed. I'm, done.
4: Indeed. I, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I'm getting off my soapbox. I, now.
1: I, I I can tell you, folks, this this is obviously, um, you know, it's 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 a uh, this project deserves its due. And you really, really should take the time to sit down and to watch the series.
4: Because this is second to cancer. Supposedly, like, I mean, there isn't anyone out there that is not, has not been touched by Alzheimer's. Educate yourself. And I think HBO has done a phenomenal job in making it available free
1: absolutely to everybody. Absolutely, and, and And truly, once again, John Hoffman and his team really deserves a lot of credit and knowing that this was something that that affected him uh, and his father. Yeah. I, I mean, this truly, he he deserves... Major uh, kudos. Major kudos there. Yeah,
4: and Lori Ryan for her work. And
1: Absolutely. And
4: Dr. O'Gronin for, um, I mean, just a, a truly knowledgeable and Thoughtful, thoughtful doctor.
1: Indeed, very, very, very. Uh, can I tell you a a, a true resource and understanding um, for for family members as well as for, for patients. So, uh, for for anybody in the in the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area that that, that does need a good doctor, Doctor Mark Agronin. Look him up. He's an amazing man, and and truly, he he has an ear that hears and that is a gift.
4: Absolutely.
1: Folks that is going to do it for tonight's special edition of Rainmaker um, uh, uh, and I gotta say these are Rainmakers that were on the air tonight and that's, that's what this is about these Absolutely. are people out there that are making a difference in people's lives and that is what Rainmaker is all about. Folks tell your friends Make sure that you pass this podcast along and make sure you get it onto your outlook Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night.
4: And then Infinitum. Infinatum, <laughs> infinatum on
1: YouTube, MySpace and Facebook. Folks, that is going to do it for us tonight on Rainmaker. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next week right here.
4: On Rainmaker. Thank you.